Um, today we're, we have missionary Alan Claycomb with us, and um, we have a, a kind of a unique relationship or friendship. Um, I was in, I was with uh, David Wins, a missionary uh, who arranges trips to different parts of the world for missions projects, and I was in Harare, Zimbabwe, which is just north of South Africa, if you're wondering where Zimbabwe is, and I was, we were in this uh, house uh, where the missionary, we come in and we would be there and then we would go out to these different villages and places to speak, sometimes it would be one day trips and um, some days it would be five days. So um, anyhow, we're sitting in the living room there with a number of people from different parts of uh, the country, some from Africa and other parts of Africa. And uh, Alan and I were sitting there and Alan says, well, he asked me where I was from. I said, well, I'm from Johnstown. He says, well, where at? And I said, Wimber. And he says, oh, I'm from Lovely. <laughs> so here's uh, a man that we're in, we're in uh, Africa. About, uh, well, the last time I flew home from there was 21 hours. So 21 hours from here, I meet a guy from Lovely. So, but he no longer lives in Lovely. You live in South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, somewhere down there. And uh, Alan, if you'd come. He's going to share with us his missions work that he is doing, and uh, Alan, his ministry, I think, is unique for missions in the sense that he travels um, all over the world with his projects and different groups and uh, speaks and teaches and trains, and so we're going to turn it over to Alan, and God bless you, my friend, <laughs> even though you are from Lovely. You know. <laughs> Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Some lovely people. In well, the as I was as I was dri dri driving over this morning, I, I you know, I came by one place said Pleasantville, another place said Lovely, and I said, oh, what a nice place to live, you know. <laughs> it's uh, a joy to be back with you. I've been here on several occasions after meeting your pastor there in Arari, and um, you know, for those of you who know me, uh, I've been in missions now 44 years. My wife and I began uh, 44 years ago by going to Costa Rica, and that's where my children were born, uh, born, and then uh, they grew up their young years in Guatemala, and then their teenage years they they grew up in or they uh, graduated from high school actually uh, in Chile, South America. So it's been 44 years ago that my wife and I started out for missions, and 44 years. You do a lot of things. Costa Rica was mostly planting churches. Uh, it's hard to believe in our day today, but uh, going back that many years, the largest church in the whole country of Costa Rica at that time had 250 people. Now you go to Costa Rica and there are churches of thousands and thousands of people. It's amazing what has happened around the world over the years. And I count it a tremendous privilege to be part of a little tiny, maybe a grain of sand of what God is doing around the world. But uh, I just thank the Lord for that. Uh, planting churches helped uh, start several Bible schools. Been teaching in Bible schools for years. Still am teaching in Bible schools. And then I uh, got uh, involved in ministering with pastors. And probably for the last 20 years, mostly what I do is ministering to pastors. Uh, and also through Bible schools, which are, form which are future leaders. Uh, also, another thing that I'm involved in, I've been going to Cuba now for 10 years, and Cuba is such a different world, it's just so close home, 
But it's such a different world that you, you really, I can't even fathom what it's like after 10 years of going there because life is so complicated in Cuba. And so we try to help build churches for the people in Cuba. So far, we've done 13 different churches in Cuba. Uh, and God is moving in a tremendous way. You know, my, my, my testimony of what God is doing in missions, it's harvest time around the world. Everywhere I go, you know, as I said, I mostly minister in seminars to pastors or in teaching in Bible schools. But they always want you to preach in the churches. And every service, I'm not, every service, people get saved when I preach in, in the church services. Many people get filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's a tremendous time to be alive. I just got back from Mexico. I told Pastor McGee that I literally felt like I was a prisoner in Mexico. Because I think you're, you're all aware of all the violence and, and, and murders going on in Mexico. And uh, they kept the pastors seeing that we would, would only go uh, when we were uh, uh, with someone of them. At least two people. I never went out one time without two people. My son was there with me. Uh, two people with us just to the church back to we stayed back, to, you know, wherever we went out to minister, they would go with us. Uh, and then uh, because even the pastors themselves, uh, they do the same thing. Matter of fact, one of the, uh, the last church I ministered in was a very large church. And the assistant pastor told me in the last, I can't give you the exact amount of time, but when I just seen him there, which was last month, he wasn't driving his own car because he has had two cars stolen from him. And uh, a short time ago, he was out and there was a police roadblock and the policeman stole his car with a computer in and a good portion of money in the car. Then uh, after a period of time, he got another car and he, he was going home from church, took his wife home, the children, got out, of the, got out of the car, walked inside the house and right behind them was a man with a pistol. And he said, I want your car. And he knows enough about Mexico that you don't resist in any way. They'll shoot you on the spot like that. And so he said, would you please allow me to get the children's things out of the car, which they did and then drove off with his car. So, you know, just in a short time, two cars are stolen. Uh, this is a normal thing uh, of, of what is happening. I, you know, I was talking to Pastor McGee. I, I, I really uh, respect his son who works in El Salvador. I've been through Salvador now for probably 42 years uh, I go most every year, and uh, I was there in January, Guatemala, Salvador, and Honduras, and I was just appalled at the violence. I lived for four years in Guatemala, and the violence was, I mean, it was, I mean, you didn't go outside your house after 10 o'clock at night because uh, killings and robberies, but since that time, it is so much worse. It is so uh, increased, the robbery and the violence, gangs controlling large sections of cities. Uh, if you don't pay them, they call it protection. But if you don't pay them protection, your life is gone. They're just You're gone. There's no mercy whatsoever. And so, uh, you know, when, when I travel to these countries, it's good to know that people are praying. And so I stand before you this morning asking you, pray especially for your pastor's son. Uh, and not only them, but other missionaries who work in those areas, myself, because there's violence around every corner.
But I, I appreciate the goodness of God allowing me to go and share. And uh, I have a, a short DVD because, uh, in which it basically explains the ministry that I do, uh, mostly teaching pastors and leaders, Bible schools. And I'm going to show that it's different countries of the world. I've been in a lot more countries that's on, that's on the, than that is on the DVD. But uh, it'll give you some pictures and, uh, and faces of people that you might be able to identify with some of the peoples of the world. And, uh, you know, just one, one thought that I'll leave with you before we look at that. In three weeks, I'm leaving for Kenya and Rwanda. I don't know, probably some of you might know, others might not, but uh, 12 years ago in the country of Rwanda, there was a massacre between the two main tribes of that country, the Hutu and the Tutsi. And they claimed that in 100 days, they slaughtered a million people. I mean, it's just incredible. Can you imagine a million people being cut to pieces with machetes, shot down in cold blood? Uh, but what I wanted to say was, when this was going on, many of the people fled inside into, into the churches, hoping that you know, they would be safe. But the people went right in behind them and literally hacked them to death uh, inside the churches. And a friend of mine, uh, I don't know if you know Brother Jim Smith, uh, he goes with Barnabas almost every year, or Eugene Smith, excuse me, Eugene Smith. Uh, he was there two years ago and told me that in some of these churches, uh, on purpose, they left them just the way it happened. And you all, well, you can go in, and I'm... You might say I'm very morbid, but I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I've really been looking forward to go there to see this, to, to help, help me even appreciate more the freedom we have to worship the Lord. Uh, but uh, in some of these churches, the bones are still there, the skeletons are there where they were actually killed and they never cleaned them up. And, uh, you know, it just makes us... Uh, it should make us appreciate the goodness of the Lord here in our own country, where things uh, compared to other places uh, are going quite well. So uh, I want to put this, uh, we'll show this DVD, and then I'll look into the Word of God with you. So if you could just uh, begin that, please. Truly, the world is in harvest time. And I thank God for the privilege of having a part of it. And I want to uh, share with you this morning some words uh, from the scriptures, mostly words of Jesus. But, you know, uh, sometimes they tell us uh, when you pick up a book and you want to know uh, about the book, you go to the last chapter. And that's what I would like to do to begin what I want to share with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like to read two verses out of the end of the book. The book of Revelation, first of all, beginning in chapter 5. Uh, starting at verse 9, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred. And this is especially what I want us to pay attention to uh, in the light of the message it says, has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation. And had us made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. 
You know, sometimes uh, people ask me why I keep on traveling around the world. You know, I, this year I'm going to be, it's like all the other years, this year I'm going to be in eight countries. And next year is already starting to fill up. But uh, some people ask, well, why do you do this? And my, this is my prayer, among many others. But uh, we're looking at this, this verse, that around the throne were people from every kindred, tongue and people, uh, and nation. I've asked the Lord, Lord, allow me uh, to have a part in maybe just having the, the benefit of somehow the reward of having someone around that throne, maybe from China, from the Amazon jungle, or Africa, USA, wherever it might be. But this is my heart's cry that as this scene around the throne, it's going to be from every people of the earth, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And uh, it also says in chapter 7 of Revelation, beginning at verse 9, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, and look what it says, which no man could number. Can you imagine that? No man can number. You know, in our country they talk about the debt now up into the trillions. But uh, this is beyond the trillions. This goes where we don't have numbers. And it says there was a great multitude which no man could number of all nations. Look what it says again. Of all nations and all kindreds and all people and all tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So this is the end of the book, when it will be all culminated by every tongue. People from all nations of the world worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. And rejoicing in the, in the, in the joys of glory in heaven. And, uh, you know, the, one of the probably most well-known verses of the scripture, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Not only us, aren't we thankful that he loved us? Aren't we thankful that he loved us this morning? That he reached out? No one can say you're thankful. Can I hear an amen? You're thankful that the Lord reached out to you in Winber or wherever you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, because we were part of God's world. God so loved that world that he gave his only begotten son. That in him we would be sitting here today worshiping. And when God calls us home, we'll be part of that group of people. And make up all as it describes there in the book of Revelation. And I find it very interesting. Uh, you know, the, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God had one son, and he made that son a missionary. And I think that should speak a lot of our God. Speak a lot of our Jesus Christ, that he abandoned the glories of heaven. He abandoned the glories of heaven uh, for you and I. He left all of that for you and I, that we might rejoice, because he wants us to be in that number around the throne of God, worshiping the Lord, along with so many other peoples of the world. And uh, I find it interesting, before Jesus left this world, 
and went back to glory, that uh, what he said, and it, I believe it's very, very important because all the writers of the Gospels uh, recorded the very last words of Jesus. Now, if you knew you were dying, or, well, basically not dying in the case of Jesus because he, well, he knew he was dying, and he already had died on the cross and was resurrected and spent 40 days on the earth uh, speaking to different ones, his disciples uh, and others. Uh, but when he knew he was ready to leave this earth and to return to the Father, waiting the day when he would return again to take his people back with him, I would say probably they would might be some of the most important words that one could ever speak. If you know you were leaving and be your last time uh, with them, I think you probably would choose your, very, your, words, your words very, very well. And they would have great substance. They would have great purpose uh, that you would want to speak to those that are remaining behind. And in the, in, in the four Gospels, the four writers of the Gospels uh, recorded these very last words of Jesus. And I want to look at them uh, with you very briefly because it has a lot to do with the book of Revelation, those verses that I read in the book of Revelation. And the first, uh, uh, we'll look at John chapter 20. We'll read verse 21 and 22. And uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's about ready to leave going back to the Father, and he says in John chapter 20, uh, begin, uh, verse 21, <clears throat> Then said Jesus to, to them again, Peace be unto you. Now this is what he said. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Now, you could say, well, this was just for the disciples. This was just for the 12 apostles or the apostles. But actually, this is a word for all of us. As Jesus was leaving, he sent the message to his disciples who had walked with him for three and a half years. As the Father sent me, I left all my glory. I left all the worship in, in, in the heaven with the angels and you can imagine, I mean, we really can't imagine the glories of heaven, the splendor, what it might be to be in the very presence of God the Father and uh, the worship and the angels. But Jesus left all of that uh, according to the Father's wishes to send the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent him. And now Jesus is leaving and he says to his disciples, and we should not only think of those 11 but we should think of us as well, if we call ourselves a disciple of the Lord Jesus. As, my, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And this was a very forceful word that Jesus was giving to his disciples. And it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, this is what they received, what you and I would call salvation. And this particular portion of John, they were what we would call today born again. He breathed upon them and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, it was not 
what we're going to read about in the book of Acts and a little bit after this. Because in the book of Acts, they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But here, they are, are being born again, just like you and I have met the Lord Jesus through the process of being born again. And he tells his disciples that they uh, are being sent just as the Father sent him to this world. Now, if we would look at the, uh, the gospel of Mark, Mark uh, records this because, as I said, these words are recorded by, uh, in the four gospels and also in, in the book of Acts. But in Mark chapter 16, uh, Mark writes what Jesus was saying here uh, about what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 16, beginning at at verse 15. And he said unto them, go. Now, I want you to notice this word, go. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, he had to go from heaven. He had to go from eternity to you and I, to Winber, Pennsylvania. He had to go. So he says, go, and look what he says, "into into all the world into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, when Matthew records, this is all the same time. So this is all happening at the same time, uh, what Jesus is saying. And Matthew records uh, it in this way, Matthew chapter 28, and beginning at verse Uh, Verse 18, Matthew writes it this way. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And here again, Matthew brings it out. Go, go. You see, uh, the gospel begins with go. And if the gospel is going to go to all the world, then there must be people going. There must be. There's no way around it. And so Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, Mark said, go into all the world and preach. Matthew said, go and teach all nations. And he's breaking it down like you find in the book of Revelation that the tongues uh, they mentioned the, the, all the tongues, the tribes, the nations, and the people. So Mark is breaking it, breaking it down. We can say, oh, for God so loved the world, go into all the world. But then Mark says, go and uh, teach all nations, which means the tribes of the different tribes of the earth. Uh, you know, and there are so many around the world. You know, you go to Ghana, 47 different dialects. I was just talking to the man the other day from Ethiopia. And I forgot the exact number, but I think he says something like 90 some dialects in his country. So you see how many people, and you multiply that around the world, all the different countries around the world, uh, China and all these other places, how many different uh, peoples they have. So Mark breaks this down, go and teach all nations. And this is a command that Jesus gave to us. Now, if we take this to uh, go, uh, what Luke said about this in Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke uh, mentions another thought 
It's all put together. It's all in the same context. It's all happening at the same time. Jesus is just about ready to leave his last words upon earth. And so Luke records what Jesus is saying in Luke 24, beginning at verse 43. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened, then opened he their understanding, and they might understand the scriptures. Then saith unto him, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. You see what he's, Luke is saying here? Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem or beginning at Winbur, beginning at Johnstown, beginning in Cambry County. It should, as a, as, and he says, should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Then he goes on to say, and ye are witnesses, witnesses of these things. So what is a witness? Someone who has seen, has heard, has, ex, has had experience. If you're saved this morning, you've had an experience and you're qualified to be a witness. If you're not saved this morning, you need to get saved this morning that you can be a witness. But anyone who is born again, we are witnesses of the power of God to change a sinful life and make it a creature that is ready to meet the Lord Jesus in heaven. So Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you and tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So he says it begins in Jerusalem and then it goes out from there. Now in the book of Acts chapter one, and this is all, all at the same time, the very last words of Jesus. And in Acts chapter one, we find this, uh, these words beginning at verse two. And the, and the same was in the beginning Excuse me, I'm uh, turned to John, but it's Acts, Acts chapter one. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he threw the Holy Ghost, had given commandments. And I want you to notice this word here, commandments, because you find two times the word commandments. Now, commandments are not a very popular word in our day. Uh, no one likes to be commanded. No one likes to receive uh, orders. Uh, but that's the Bible, whether we like it or not. You know, we, we lot of, a lot of flack against the Ten Commandments. No one wants to come under someone giving a commandment. But here the Lord Jesus is giving a commandment. And um, perhaps we really do not uh, understand that uh, the, uh, the Great Commission, because this is a Great Commission, is a commandment of the Lord Jesus. It's not if you feel like it. If you get enough gumption or unction or whatever you get, but it's a commandment uh, to fulfill the great commission. And so it says here, in whom he also showed himself, uh, no, excuse me, I'll back up to that verse. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, 
being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he's now winding up the 40 days. And being assembled together with them, commanded them. Here you find this word again. Commanded them. Commanded them. They should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So we already seen in John 20 where Jesus had received the Holy Ghost. They were born again. But now he's saying in a few days, uh, I want to send the promise of the Father and you shall be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know where you are, you stand this morning, but if you're born again and not baptized in the Holy Ghost, you should be baptized in the Holy Ghost because that's part of God's plan for our lives that truly we might be witnesses. Now, uh, this continues on. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, these disciples were just like many of us. They were so bogged down in natural things. They were so bogged down in everyday life that they really weren't hearing what Jesus was saying. Even though Jesus taught them for three and a half years uh, that his kingdom was not of this world and that his kingdom was another kingdom uh, they never could get it really inside their hearts, into their, even their minds. Because right now, Jesus is crucified. He's been resurrected. He's almost ready to leave. And these disciples are worried about a kingdom. Because you see, they were under the Roman Empire. Great persecution by the Roman Empire. And they were being treated in a very terrible way. And they wanted freedom. They wanted Jesus to come, set up his kingdom... That's why the disciples, when they walked with him, wanted to sit one on the right hand, one on the left hand, because they wanted to have a, a position of authority and they would rule over the Romans because they would want to be under Christ's kingdom. But this is what they still have in their, in their hearts, in their minds after all this time. And I, I think it takes a lot for, for us to empty ourselves or God himself to empty ourselves of me, myself and I, to empty ourselves and everything involves about our own kingdom uh, here in this world. And when they said that to Jesus, Jesus said in verse 7, He said unto them, It is not for you, He rebukes them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now, as you see, this is the very same thing that we've been saying all this time. You shall be witnesses... Uh, unto me, and he mentions four places, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while he, they behold, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So the very same way Jesus was taken up, was caught up, left to the disciples behind, with the sole purpose that they would be witnesses, beginning in Winber, and then in Cambria County, 
And then going out maybe to Lancaster County and then beyond that to the regions of the world. This is the whole purpose that you might be witnesses. And he says, uh, the, the, the angel said the same way that Jesus left, this is the same way he'll come back. So he commanded them. This is a commandment of the Lord and that they would be witnesses. Now, I think, I think probably uh, this is a little bit off of my subject, but uh, not it really not. But, you know, uh, next Sunday, we're not going to be here. Uh, next Sunday, the world's going to be over, according to uh, some people that are saying May 21st is the end of the world. The great earthquake is going to hit the world. Uh, but we're going to be here next Sunday. That man is a false prophet. But in the light of what I'm saying is this. If you go to Matthew chapter 24, uh, verse 14, Jesus said that uh, he would not return until all the world has had time to receive the gospel. And the witnesses have went out into all the world to preach the gospel. In Matthew chapter 24... Uh, verse 14, the scripture says, uh, the end of that passage where he's talking about the end times. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. There we come back to that word witness. Uh, it's all through what I've been looking at. This gospel shall be preached uh, in all the world. Remember what we're looking at in, in these verses? You see the heart of God, the heart of Jesus is all of the world. And he wants that to be placed within our hearts. He wants that to be within us. That we would be world Christians. Not worldly Christians, but world Christians. We would have eyes to look out to the world and see that as part of the great commission. That we are commanded. It's not just a wish if you so desire. But you're commanded to be part of. And he says it begins in Jerusalem, which begins in Winber, Pennsylvania. And then it begins to spread out uh, into other, as, 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 uh, as this verse 14 says, In this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. You see that again? All nations, all peoples, all tongues, all tribes. And then shall the end come. And it's not coming next, next Saturday. It's not coming next sun, Saturday because that has not happened yet. But... I want to get back to what I was saying. Uh, recently, matter of fact, uh, I taught in four different Bible schools in Central America in January. And I was teaching the life of Christ. And to me, a lot of things were made really afresh and anew. And uh, opened my eyes to some things about the Lord Jesus as I was teaching the life of Christ. And... Uh, you know, Jesus said right here in the book of Acts, he says, you should be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the other most parts of the world. Now, Jesus was not like probably a lot of us that we don't practice what we preach. But Jesus practiced everything he preached. And when he said you should be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world, he did that. He actually lived that. Now, when we consider the world, we must understand the world in Jesus' day. 
But it's obviously Jesus priest in Jerusalem. He ministered in Jerusalem. Uh, and in Judea, which was the surrounding parts around Jerusalem, the southern part of Israel. Uh, uh, obvious, but if you look in the scriptures, he was in that, that part of uh, his world, Judea. But then he went to Samaria, which we have the famous story of the Samaritan woman. And other parts of, of, nor- of northern Samaria. So Jesus reached out. He began in Jerusalem. Uh, He went out to Judea. Then he went out to Samaria. And then he went to Capernaum. Capernaum was in Galilee. Now Capernaum was, or Galilee was the north of Samaria. Which would would be the, 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 the northern part of Israel today. And they say, as you study the scriptures... Probably 60 or maybe more percent of Christ's ministry and the miracles that took place in the life of Jesus took place in Galilee or around Capernaum. So so showing to us where the heart of Jesus was. Yes, he ministered, if you want to say, he ministered in Winber. Yes, he ministered in Cambria County. And then he went on, uh, you know, say to, to Lancaster, wherever that might be. But then after that, he went even beyond that because the Bible talks about Jesus ministering in Tyre and Sidon. And Tyre and Sidon is modern day Lebanon. So Jesus went into another country. He left the borders of, of Israel and went north into north, in the modern Lebanon. He ministered in, in Caesarea de Filippo, which is modern day Syria. And then he ministered in Gadara and Decapolis, which is modern day Jordan. So Jesus lived everything he preached. It was part of his life. And, and, and as I said, at least 60% or more was spent outside of Jerusalem. So what, what all this shows us, there is a part to play in Jerusalem. But we cannot just do everything in Jerusalem. But we must go, as Jesus says, out further into Cambria County, Judea. And have a ministry, have a part there. Go beyond that. And eventually unto the uttermost parts of the world. Now, uh, I want to just read a little bit here. A couple thoughts uh, from a man that I read, read, read this recently. Who was writing an article uh, about the gospel. In light of what I was sharing here this morning, the gospel makes a total difference in a man's life from within and without. There must be that difference. And I think probably one of the great needs of our day today, I'm not pointing my finger at your people here, but the great needs as you look around everywhere that there is a lot of the gospel, but uh, it seems that uh, a lot of Christians are not being witnesses. They're not living the life uh, and uh, uh, not really making, uh, 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 not standing out as, as what Jesus done in their lives. It seems like uh, many Christians are almost like part of the world today. The, the early Christians did not have their own program or policy to promote. They had a living Lord to proclaim. Their attitude was that every heart without Christ was a mission field and every Christian was a missionary. I thought that was very good. Let me read that again. Their attitude was every heart without Christ was a mission field and every Christian was a missionary. They had a, they had a woe in their hearts and a go in their feet. 
They had a woe in their hearts and a go in their feet. You see, it's impossible of what Jesus commanded us to not put feet to what we believe. Because that's the beginning of the gospel is to go. They had woe in their hearts and they had uh, go in their feet. There was nothing casual or nonchalant about the early saints. They turned the world upside down. They lived the truths they preached. We cannot be rightly related to the Lord and wrongly related to missions. You know, no one can say, well, that's not my bag. That's not my calling. That's not my, you know, no one can say that. No one. I don't care who you are. You don't have to be called to be like maybe myself to whole life's time, 44 years now as a missionary. But you're called, whether it's just to Winber or Cambria County or whether it is, we're all called. And so as this writer is saying, uh, we cannot be right related to the Lord and wrongly related to missions. Christ's cause, uh, cause demands maximum surrender, total obedience and wholehearted commitment. The early Christians first gave their own selves to the Lord. They did not live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. They did not live to themselves, but they lived for the Lord. God can do his best in us and through us as we yield ourselves completely to him. The sight The sight of sinking souls must move us to action and concern. We are not our own. We must put ourselves and our substance at God's disposal. We must be loyal to Christ and conscientious in the discharge of our duty to the lost. We need a Christ-like Calvary love for the lost. We must go if we would sow and weep if we would reap. Let me read that again. We would go or we must go if we would sow and weep if we would reap. Christ's go is a, sub, a sublimest order ever given on earth. Our supreme aim must be to share the living Christ with a dying world. The teeming millions need to hear of our redeeming Savior. We have no right to make the Great Commission null and void. You see, that's a commandment. That's a commandment of the Lord. Oh, the shame of wasting our time and talent. It is wrong to rob God of our money, influence, and time. And let me say this, because a lot of times people, when they think about missions, they think about money. You know, God is not after your money. He's not after your money. What God is after, he's after you. He's after me. Because if he gets me, or if he gets you, he got your money. You know, so it's not a problem of what, you know, what God's out to get. He's out to get us. And as I close this this morning, I would ask all of us to just think about this this morning. Where am I in the light of the Great Commission? We can't shrug it off. The Lord gave us. And he says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And each one, that means different things. But we're all sent. We're all sent. And if our master practiced what he preached, he lived what he preached, how much for you and I to say, oh God, oh God, I want to have a part. I want to have a part. And the first part is him getting a hold of us. When God gets a hold of us, he got our time. He got our money. 
he got everything that we, he, he, he needs if he gets a hold of us. Sometimes we say, well, maybe I'll give a little money. I'll do this, I'll do that. But he's after you and I. And I'd like just to close this morning by, why don't we all stand to our feet? And could we just say to the Lord, here am I. Here am I, Lord Jesus. Here am I. You know, I don't know what God has in store for you. But I am convinced because of all years of I've been in missions. In every church, there are many people called into missions. They're good Christians, but do not obey the Lord. And I don't know where you are this morning. But I would challenge you to take these words that I've been reading, the, the, reading this morning. When we're standing around the throne, my heart cries out. I say, oh God, when I'm standing around the throne, I want to look and join hands with an African. Join hands with a Chinese. Join hands with an Indian. You know, I, 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 I have a, my son and I in October were in northern India. 99.9 non-Christian. 99.9 non-Christian. Terrible persecution. You see, I want to have the joy of joining hands with an Indian joining hands with someone from the Caribbean or wherever it might be. What a thrill, what a blessing when that great worship in heaven, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, you want to have a part? You want to have a part? You know, let's not be like the disciples who wanted to have their own kingdom. They wanted their own life and enjoy it. Jesus says, don't even think about that. What you need to do is get filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll be a witness. Be a witness. If you'd like to, I don't, you don't have to, but if you'd like to just raise your hands. Say, oh God, here am I. Here am I. Father, we present ourselves to you this morning. We present ourselves to you this morning. God, here am I. Here am I, Lord Jesus. Let the witness, my life be a witness beginning in Winburn. And to reach out. Get me, Lord. Get me, Lord. Get a hold of me. Lord Jesus, you're not after my money. You're not after my sacrifices. You just want to get a hold of me. And so I give myself to you this morning. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll give what you want me to give. I'll do what you want me to do, Lord. But God, help me to understand that my life's not my own. When Jesus gave it all, who am I to say it's my own life? No, God, my life is yours. Lord, we praise and worship you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen.